morning, er, <coughs> good evening. I'll be bring, bring, reading from 2 Kings for, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a say of flour, a fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. Two says of barley will be sold for, for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand a king leaned answered the man, the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Good afternoon. It is, or evening, if you prefer, that's fine. Good evening. I don't really know when exactly those things differ. Is it six o'clock, five o'clock, what is it? I'm sure somebody knows. Six o'clock. Good afternoon. <laughs> it is good to see you tonight. We're very thankful for your presence here. Uh, before we get started, we, it was prayed for, thank you, Kenny, and uh, we do have new members. Erica and Pamela Fiddler obeyed the gospel this, uh, this well, after morning service. Very thankful to Furman, who has studied with them, and they made that decision, and uh, we are very thankful to witness it and very thankful for that decision. Hopefully, they'll be here and you'll get a chance to meet them soon, but please uh, think about them, pray for them, and we're very thankful that they obeyed the gospel. And very thankful for Furman for having that Bible study with them and teaching them about Jesus. Um, our continuance from this morning, uh, the original title was, Why Sit Here Till We Die? We'll get to that phrase. It's actually in chapter 7, and that is the point ultimately. But we started in 1 Kings 16 and got over to about chapter 6. And so we're going to jump right in and not uh, waste any more time by way of introduction. We, we made it to chapter 6, but we didn't go all the way through the chapter. So let's jump into chapter 6. It's the background leading into chapter 7. And just by way of some points as we get down to the point of focus, we were making the case that God was with Elisha. And the miracles that God did by him confirmed him and confirmed that. And so just by way of noting, one miracle is in the first seven verses, and that is the iron floating. Uh, the second one is in verses 8 to 12, and we did touch on that one this morning, and that is the prophet hearing the, the words of the king in his tent, and he'll be told that it's Elisha. He's telling the king. In fact, he saves the king at least twice, it's recorded here, by telling him where to go and where to avoid because of the king of, uh, the king of uh, the Syria. And then the third one is God's presence. It's near. And we talked about that this morning with regards to the, they came and they surrounded the city. They intend to take Elisha. They, the king sent men to get him. And when they arrived, Elisha prayed for the servant's eyes to be opened, and he saw the, the mountain filled with chariots of fire. And that's about where we stop by reference to this because of what happens next. Elisha also prayed that the individuals who came to get him be smitten with blindness. And they are. All of those people who came to capture Elisha are now blind. This is verses 19 to 23. And when they are smitten with blindness, Elisha takes them to Samaria. He takes them to the army of Israel. And when he marches, he says, follow me. And they do. They follow him into the camp of Israel. And when they arrive there, they are now surrounded by the nation of Israel. And Elisha says, now, God, open their eyes. When they open their eyes, they are in the enemy's camp, surrounded. I don't imagine, I can't imagine what went through their minds when we went to get Elisha, and we went, ended up in Israel's camp, and now we're surrounded by the—you know what the, the king of Israel, those in Israel said to Elisha, shall we kill him? And Elisha said, no. You wouldn't kill your captives, would you? He actually said, feed them. Provide for them. 
And they, they do. And they're actually let go. God sends them away. This is verse number 21. The king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those you've taken captive with your sword and hath a bow? So set bread and water before them, and they do. Verse 23 says, so he prepared a great feast for them, and when they had eaten the drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master, and the marauding bands of Armenians did not come again into the land of Israel. I don't exactly know what happened between verse 23 and verse 24, but Ben-Hadad changed his mind. Because verse 24 says, now it came about after this, that Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And so at some point in time, after this great mercy from the God of heaven, this nation came back and besieged the nation of Israel, and now they surround them, and a famine ensues. This siege was successful. This is verses 25 down to verse 29, and you can begin to read what happens. Verse 25 says, there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. This is the nature of this. Now, there is, as, as you try to figure out what exactly is dove's dung, well, it could be exactly as it's expressed. Some say it's a vegetable. One commentator said it was common pulse or roasted chickpeas, vulgarly known as dove's dung. But there was some debate. People differ on it. Whatever it is, it was something detestable and not desirous to be eaten. And now they are eating it, and it is selling for a high price. The king of Israel is absolutely helpless in this scenario and in this dynamic, but he's asked for help. Pick up in verse number 26. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help me, O Lord, my king. He said, if the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And so he says, listen, there's no getting out of this. God's not delivering, and I can't deliver. But then he says, what can I do for you? Verse 28. It's amazing. He says, I, I can't help you before he even heard the request. And in verse 28, he gets the request. The king said to her, what aileth thee? What's the matter with you? She answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So, we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. Now, I do want you to appreciate how effective this siege was, how long this famine must have been going on. The problem here, you should understand, is not cannibalism. Now, I know that may be the problem for you, but that's actually not her problem. Her problem is not cannibalism because she says, rather frankly, we already did it. It's not a problem. You see, we boiled my son. Yeah, chew on that for just a while. We boiled my son. And we ate him. So her cry to the king is not outrage at cannibalism. We've already done it. What is her problem? This woman right here, she won't keep her word. She won't let us eat her son. What aileth you? Not cannibalism. She won't give us her son so we can eat him too. That's what's ailing me. We've already eaten mine and she won't give up hers. That's the problem. Now, this situation that they're in, God has already warned about. Remember this morning, we emphasized the Word of God. How did we get here in Israel? For that, we have to go back. If you have your Bibles, go back to Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. It might otherwise be known as the blessings and cursings. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And God is going to take a certain amount of tribes and put them on one mountain. He's going to take another set of tribes and put them on another mountain. And this particular tribe is going to share and scream out the cursings that will befall us, while the other side screams out the blessings that will be ours. And it will both be predicated upon our attitude and disposition toward the Word of God. Began there in chapter 27 and verse number 1. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones and, and coat them with lime, and write on them all the words of this law, that you may enter into the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Slide down to verse number 9, and the Bible says, Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do His commandments, His statutes, which I command you today. Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, when you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. For the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, and there begins the cursings. Cursed is the man who makes an idol, and it continues. In fact, it's in my Bible in verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20. Cursed, curse, 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 curse. We won't take time to read it, but it goes all the way to the end of the chapter. They are sharing with the nation. These are the curses. If you don't follow God's words, cursed, 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 and they go on and on and on. When you get to chapter 28, it continues. Chapter 28 and verse number 1 says, Now it shall be if... You diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His command you, commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Beginning in verse 3, you will start with the blessings. Blessed shall be you in the city. Blessed shall be your offspring. Blessed shall be your basket. Blessed shall you be when you come in. The Lord will cause your enemies. And it goes on and on and on and on. Blessings and cursings. Based on what? Will we obey the word of God or will we reject and turn from his commandments? If we do one, cursings. If we do the other, blessings. You know what's a part of this? Begin in verse number 49 of chapter 28. The Lord will bring a nation against you. This is, if you don't follow, verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God, Verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar from the end of the earth as the eagle swoops down a nation whose language you should not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. Moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you destroy you who also leaves you no grain, new wine or oil, the increase of your herd or the young flock until they have caused you to perish. It shall besiege you in all of your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trust to come down throughout your land. It shall besiege you in all your towns throughout the land which the Lord your God has given you. Then you shall eat the offspring of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you. 
he continues and talks about the, the man who is refined in verse 54 and how he'll treat his family. He'll be hostile. He won't share what he has. Verse 55, he will not even give one of them anything that he has. Verse 56, the refined woman, the delicate woman among you, she would not venture to set her soul of a foot on the ground for delicateness during this time. He says, and toward her after birth, verse 58, if you are not careful to observe all the words of your law, which are written in this book, to fear his honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, he says again, verse 57, they will eat their own. He continues this all the way through, and he just goes on and on and on. When we're in 2 Kings chapter 7, 6, the end of 6, that's happening. It's interesting that the king in that siege, he blames Elisha, chapter 6 and verse number 30. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now as he was passing by on the wall, the people looked, and behold, he has sackcloth beneath on his body. Then he said, may God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. It is a noteworthy thing that the wicked often blame the righteous for the troubles that they cause. You remember when Ahab met Elisha back in chapter 17, or 18 rather, he said, are you the troubler of Israel? You remember in chapter 19, verse 1 and verse 2, after Elijah's great defeat of the Baals on, Mar on Mount Carmel, Jezebel said she wants to kill Elijah. Now we come to this point and the king says, I know what the solution is here. We should kill Elisha. And so he will threaten Elijah. In fact, like he has done, they will come to get him. In verses 32 and 33, Elisha is sitting in his house, and the king and his men are on the way to get him. And Elijah will speak rather frankly about the king. Typically, it's not done. It doesn't sound quite like this, but verse 32 says, Now Elisha was sitting in his house, the elders were sitting with him, the king sent men from his presence. But before the messengers came to him, he said to the elders, you have to kind of imagine the scene. The Eli Elisha is in his house talking to those who are there. Outside of the door, there are people coming. Elisha, knowing they're coming, he says to the men inside, do you see how this son of a murderer, he's talking about the king, this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, he says to those inside the house, when the messengers come, hold the door, don't let them in. And sure enough, they held the door. And as they are outside of the door, he goes further and says, listen, because the people outside of the door have stopped trying to get in, the men inside are holding the door, and he says, listen, do you hear the feet? Do you hear the sound of the steps behind them? It's the king. And the end of verse 32 says, is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And so Elijah talks through the door. And while he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? It's that that brings us to chapter 7 and verse 1 and verse number 2. Because from there, Elisha says, Listen to the word of the Lord. And he says, thus says the Lord, tomorrow, in one day, I don't know how long the siege had been going on, long enough for people to decide we need to eat so badly that we're going to boil our children and eat them. And we did my son yesterday, and this woman won't give me her son so we can boil him and eat him too. It must have appeared to everybody involved. There was no end in sight to this, and we're down to eating our own. And then Elisha says, tomorrow. Tomorrow, he says, about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. 
He says that through the door to the individual that came on behalf of the king to get him. And that person responded to Elijah in disbelief. The royal officer whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? Effectively, that means that's impossible, Elijah. There's no way. It would take God opening the windows of heaven in order for that to occur. There's no way. And Elisha says to that, you will see it, but you will not partake of it. That brings us to the lepers. Four unlikely heroes. I would urge, as you hold in your mind, ultimately, we're talking about the Word of God. If we would turn that around, we're talking about the God who gives His Word. That Word is true. That Word will be kept, and that Word will be exactly as He said it will be. From Deuteronomy all the way to here, it's constantly been about God's Word. These four lepers. There were four lepers beginning in verse number 3, we're told. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. If you go back and read Leviticus 13, you will read about the law of the leper. They were unclean. And the reason they're outside of the gate is just that. They cannot be in the city. They're contagious, apparently, and it would have spread, and they can't be around people. In fact, if you came toward them, they would have to cover the lip and say, unclean, unclean, keep you safe. They have to be outside of the gate, and that's where they are. They're at the entering of the gate. We say sometimes, don't judge a book by its cover. Of all the people and all the things and all of these events, we likely wouldn't have thought that lepers would be the key to the victory, but they are. It's also noteworthy that God often uses that which appears to be the least to do great things. Joseph, a young man in a foreign country, delivered the nation. Esther, a young woman in a foreign country, delivers the nation. Daniel, a young man in a foreign country, delivers the nation. Mary, a young maiden, will bear the Messiah. A little maid told Naaman to get to the prophet. Naaman himself was also a leper. Four lepers outside of the gate. What do we do when we're in difficult situations? We could take and learn some things from these men. One of the things we'll find is they ask questions. They assess the situation. Action will most likely be required, and they do that. And ultimately, no matter what situation we're in, it's always noteworthy to note all is not lost. The last part of verse number three, as they sat outside at the entrance of the gate, they said this, why sit here until we die? That's their question. They began then to assess the situation, and another thing that's noteworthy about them is they reasoned soundly. Notice verse number four, as they worked through the various scenarios that laid before them. Verse number four, they say, if we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. If we sit here, we will die also. Now, therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Armenians, and if they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, we will but die. I don't know if you kind of walk through the, the options here, but they don't sound great, do they? <laughs> At least three of them involve death. Two for certain, one's a possibility. If we enter the city, we'll die. True, famine's in there. If we sit here, we'll die. True, famine and leprosy. If we go to the Syrians, they may save us, or they may kill us. It's the first possibility that could result in leaving, living, but it also could involve death. If they kill us, well... The siege would have done that, famine would have done that, leprosy would have done that. Here's the thing that's noteworthy. Be ready to take the best option available 
and be open to the possibility that the best option may not be ideal. It may just be the best one you have. Option one, we will die. Option two, we will die. Option three, we may die. Option four, we will die. What are our options? We may. Let's go with that. And so they do. They choose option three. We may die. And so they go. Notice verse number five. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Armenians. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Armenians, behold, there was no one there. Remember, whenever we're reading the Bible, we can zoom in on individuals, but it's always important to know we're talking about God ultimately. Why was there no one there? Because of verse number six. For the Lord had caused the army of the Armenians to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses and the sound of a great army so that they said one to another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight. The Lord did that. It is the case that God will always see to it that his purposes are accomplished. What we must do is to do what we can for his purposes. Children of God are never alone because if no one else is with them, God always is. From 1 Kings 16 to this very chapter, what we have seen is we could talk about Elijah, but it's the God of Elijah. We could talk about Elisha, but it's the God of Elisha. And what the prophets keep doing is pointing the people back to God. That's what Deuteronomy was all about. This is the word of God, and if you will heed it, blessings. If you reject it, cursings. And what has the nation done over and over and over again? They've rejected the word of God, which is how they're in the mess they're in. But the help is not coming from the king. The help is not coming from the mighty men. The help is coming from four individuals that seem as if they have nothing to offer and contribute, that seem as if they themselves are in need of more help than they can give. And yet they said, why do we sit here until we die? So let us try. And when they did, it's always the case that deliverance follows faith. Never before. They got up and went, and the Lord made them to hear, and they fled because of the Lord and his power. What happens next is that the lepers enter the camp, beginning in verse number 8. And this is where it really gets, it really gets interesting because now we're in the minds of the lepers themselves. They've done what they could. They got up and they went. If we die, then so be it. We're going to die. But to there must be amazement when they arrived, there was no one there. What would they do next? Verse number eight. When these lepers came into the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and they ate and they drank. Now, who can blame them for that? What did they leave? A famine. How bad was it? People are eating their own children. That's how bad it is. And if the people inside of the city are eating their own, what would the lepers have to eat outside the gate? Probably not much. And so when they get there, there's nobody there. They go into a tent and they eat and they drink. But what happens next? The Bible says, and then they carried from there silver and gold and clothes. They moved from eating for survival to looting for profit. 
What does silver and gold and raiment have to do with the famine? No, that would explain the eating and the drinking. But what are we doing now? We're not, we're not surviving anymore. We're now looting and grabbing all that we can. But that's not where they'll stop. No, the very next thing says, after they grabbed the silver and gold and clothes, they went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried them also. And they went and they hid them. They've moved now from looting to hoarding. They went in and they found food and they drank. They ate it. But then they said, oh, wow, there's gold, there's silver, there's gold. Let's get that too. And then they went from tent to tent to tent, grabbing and grabbing and grabbing, and they went and they hid it. What are we doing now? It's amazing how quickly we can move from nothing in the present to making sure our future is secure. No one in peril gets out and wants to go back again. Often when that starts to occur, we neglect and forget the God who brought us the deliverance in the first place. Check Israel's history. They went from bondage and freedom to complaining and murmuring. David went from the sheepfold to the throne and became selfish. Lepers facing sudden death. They've gone from eating and drinking to looting silver and gold, from going from tent to tent, hoarding it and burying it. But these men have a moment of clarity and conscience. And in verse number 9, they say to us some powerful statements that are very noteworthy. It, it must have been maybe as the, they kept running, the four of them, maybe at some point in the midst of grabbing and watching each other grab, they stopped. Maybe, I don't know, with a handful as they looked at each other and maybe said, what are we doing? And so verse number nine, then they said to one another, we are not doing what's right. King James says, we do not well. That's one statement. What's another statement? It's the second one. This day is a day of good news. But there's another statement. They say, but if we hold our peace to this point they had, who knows that the camp is empty? Four lepers. If we hold our peace, they were willing to do that for a while. Then they said, if we wait, if we tarry till the morning light, if we delay, it could be disastrous because the next thing they say is some mischief will come upon us. And so then they come to their conclusion at the end of verse number nine. Six statements in this one verse, walking through their thoughts and mindsets as they now assess their actions and their activity. And they conclude with this, now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Now, the rest of the events in this chapter is, well, it's just that. They do, they go back, they tell the king, they tell the porter. And the porter gives word to the king. This is verses 10 down to verse number 12. When the king hears it, he doesn't really believe it, and so he sends somebody to go see if these things are so. That'll take you down to verse number 13 to 15. And then in verse number 16, the Bible will say they did spoil the tents. They did come. They reported back to the king. It is as they said it was. That's how we found it. What happens? Verse number 17, the Bible says, uh, verse number 16, so the people went out and plundered the camp of the Armenians. And then the Bible says, then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel Please grab the last phrase, according to the word of the Lord. Before we end that section, we should note this. There was that man standing outside the door sent by the king, and he said, if God would open the windows of heaven, it'll happen. And Elijah said to him, you'll see it, but you won't partake of it. That would be verse number 18. As for the man who doubted and spoke against Elijah, verse number 18 says, it happened. Oh, verse 17. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled on him at the gate. 
and he died. How? Just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. It happened, verse number 18, just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel will be sold tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria. The royal officer asked the man of God, said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Verse 20 concludes, And so it happened to him, for the people trampled on him, at the gate, and he died. Let's make some application. Let's, for our purposes tonight, liken the famine, not of food, but to a famine of the Word of God, to a famine of sin, to a famine of righteousness. In sin, we are without God. We are in a famine of the Word of God. We have no hope in this state and no way out. Like these lepers, death is certain. What hearing the gospel would do is lead one to ask, why sit here till we die? When one learns that he is in sin, if he sits and does nothing, he will die. If he stays in the world, he will die, just like the lepers. This brings about two different challenges. Challenge number one is for non-members, individuals who have not given their life to Jesus Christ. If you have heard the gospel and you haven't obeyed it, you are, in many respects, where the lepers were, sitting with a condition that leads to death, outside of the gate of the city of God, needing to ask yourself, why would I sit here until I die? The second challenge would be for those who have obeyed the gospel. There's two parts to the lepers. We've heard the gospel and we did something. We came to Jesus, fell on the mercy of God, accepted and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God through Jesus forgave our sins and washed us in his blood. We went like them from certain death to eternal life. We got up and came to Jesus, and God made Satan and sin hear his victory, and they fled. And so in Christ, we have every spiritual need met. Like the lepers, the famine is over. We now have joy. Where once there was a famine of joy and contentment, we have it now. Now we have a joy in Christ that can't be taken, and a peace from God that passeth all understanding. We, we have a, a, a satisfaction to our soul. Our soul's famine is over. We have drunk the living water, and we've eaten the bread of life. Our spiritual man has never eaten and drunk so well as now that we've found Jesus. In fact, the famine of emptiness is over. We now have purpose in our life, Jesus. We now have meaning in our life, Jesus. Our life is filled with meaning and purpose and fulfillment because of Jesus. The famine of emptiness is over, but not only that, the famine of loneliness is over. We have a family now. It's quite literally the family of God. We have children of God, and as such, we have brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. We have a community. A child of God will never again be alone. The famine of doubt and despair is over. We have hope now, a living hope, a hope that's secured beyond the veil. In Christ, we have an abundant life here on earth and a home in heaven after a while. Somebody might ask, well, Eric, I thought you said there's a challenge, and it is, because we could be tempted to do exactly what the lepers originally did. We enter Christ, and all of our spiritual needs are met, and what we could do is fill ourselves with the goodness of Jesus. We could stuff our pockets and fill our hearts with the riches of Christ's wisdom, we could keep it amongst ourselves and hoard it in our congregations and hide it amongst us. We could go from tent meeting to tent meeting, hearing the gospel among ourselves, being fed and filled by those who know God's Word so well. Maybe never in history, maybe never in the history of the world has the gospel truth been so available and accessible. 
social media, YouTube, Facebook, podcasts, congregational websites, works from brethren, individual websites, books, articles, blogs, preaching schools, lectureship. And if we're not careful, we will keep it all to ourselves. This is what the lepers were tempted to do. And you'd have to search your own heart and I, mine, and every congregation, every eldership, every preacher, every Christian would have to do the same. And if we have, you'll remember that the lepers had a moment of conscience and clarity. And like the lepers, we'd have to do the same. You remember what they said? In the midst of their grabbing and hoarding and keeping, they said, we do not well. The security of our salvation while others around us perish should cause us all to have a crisis of conscience. You see, God has delivered us. And if we keep it to ourselves while leaving starving people in a famine of God's Word, then truly we'd be like the lepers and we would not do well. The famine was over for the lepers, but inside of that city, it was still going on. They said, we do not well. Then they said, this is a day of good tidings. Don't you love the phrase in the cemetery? What else would good tidings be but good news? This is good news. And so, what should we do with it? We should go tell the people. Let us go to tell others. That's what they said. That they might also escape the famine. They went back to the city and they told the good news. Shouldn't we do the same? When they did, an investigation was made. And people were saved, just as God has said it. What will happen when we take the gospel to the world? God will save people, not us. God will give the increase, not us. Everything that happens as it relates to the gospel and somebody yielding to it, it will happen according to the word of the Lord. Three times at the end of that chapter, just as the man of God said, just as God had said, you know what God's desire is? He said it. He would have all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his desire. What do we need to do? Just share it. It's good news. We should share it with somebody. It reminds me of a movie that was out many years ago. And in this movie, there were three powerful lines. Seems to fit here. The individual within the movie said these three lines at various times. And one of those lines was this. He said, I see dead people. Spiritually speaking, that's what we should see. There are only two kinds of people in the world. People are lost or they're saved. People are spiritually alive because of Jesus and having been quickened by the gospel, or they are dead in sins and trespasses. This individual said, when I go out into the world, I see dead people. Let me ask you, what do you see? Because the next thing he said is also telling. He said, they don't know they're dead. How often are we around the world and the world doesn't know they're dead in sins and trespasses. He said, I see it, but they don't know it. Brought him to the last statement, and that was, somebody ought to tell them. That's exactly where these lepers are. This famine is here, but we have gotten the solution. We don't do well to keep it and to hoard it while others don't know. This is a day of glad tidings. Let's go back. When faced with any difficulty in our lives, we should do what they did. We should ask questions. We should work through the different scenarios and options. In the end, we should appreciate that inactivity is rarely, if ever, the solution. And so they ask, why sit here until we die? If we do nothing, then we must know we do not do well. 
On the other hand, if we keep it to ourselves, then we do not well. Well, why were they successful at all? Friends, it's real simple. Why did these lepers succeed? The truth of the matter is, it's because they got up and tried. Let us not complicate it any more than that. They got up and they went. And if we will but get up and go, who made them hear? The Syrians heard the army and ran. Who did that? God did. When you and I take the gospel to the world, hopefully, instead of running away, the lost will hear and run to Jesus Christ, and God will save. Why sit here till we die? Elderships, congregations, individuals, the Lord's people need to ask and answer that question. It's a day of good tidings. Let's go share it. Not a Christian tonight, become one. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Friends, that's your challenge. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, that's the challenge. You need to do that. How can you, friends? You need to do a thorough investigation, see whether or not these things are so. That's why the Bereans are always held up as such a model. Acts 17, 11, they receive the word with all readiness of mind, and they search the scriptures daily to see whether or not those things were so. Friends, you need to do that. If you've never obeyed the gospel, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and repent. Confess the name of Jesus and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Friends, you need to do that. That's the truth. That's what God says, and that's the only way to be saved. If you are his child, we were talking in Bible class this morning, our foundations class. I think it's worth noting here. You hear sermons like this. I hope you take it in the spirit and in the vein in which it was intended. But the older I get in preaching, I appreciate the fact that sometimes people don't hear exactly what you said in the way you said it. And it seems to be the case that God's people are always very anxious and willing to take on a certain amount of guilt and feelings of angst and awe that generally condemns them and make them worse than they are, and they kind of relish being in that position. I'm going to try to keep lifting that burden. So please understand that when you hear a sermon like this, the thing to do is to examine your own heart where you are and check and see if opportunities present themselves for you to simply share the good news of Jesus. Here's what I'm not saying. I didn't say go convert anybody. I don't know how it happened, but somehow we took Jesus' words, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and they've been interpreted and spun to go into all the world teach the gospel, convince the person, and then get them into the baptistry. And anything short of that is failure. Now, you can't read that in your Bible, but that's what we live. And so I'm going to beg you, don't take this sermon and ruin it. <laughs> because that's not what the Bible teaches. One passage, and we'll close. Have your Bibles turned so you can read it too. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. At least I hope it's there because I've said it. I had the feeling I wasn't right, which is why I said I hope it's there. It's not there. It's in 1 Thessalonians 1. The Apostle Paul is commending the brethren in Thessalonica, and for that you should read Acts 16 and 17, but he's commending them for their faith. Begin reading with me in chapter 1 and verse number 8 where the Bible says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, and not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God would have spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves, that is, their works of faith, their demonstration of sharing the good news, he says, they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Grab the next phrase. And how ye... Turned. There's that idea of converted. To convert is to turn. Question, who did it? Who turned? The Apostle Paul doesn't say they show that we came in and converted you. That's not what he says. 
No, what we did was come in and preach to you the gospel, and you turned from idols to the living God. Whose responsibility is it to turn to God? Let me ask it another way. If you were one of the lepers and you went into the city and you said, there's food out here, there's clothes out here, the enemy is gone, and somebody in the city said, I don't believe you, what's your charge next? Because that's exactly what happened. But then the king said, send somebody out there to check and see. And when they did, turns out, it was just as the leper said, and then everybody came out to eat. Friends and family and visitors and neighbors, it is important for you to understand your part in your salvation. It is not the responsibility of the Lord's church or any member of it to convince you, to convert you, to turn you. It's not our responsibility on any level. Our responsibility is to share with you that which you do not know yet. And when it's shared, it's your responsibility to turn. Do you imagine that more Christians would be willing to share if they knew they didn't also have to convert? It's a day of glad tidings. What should we do? Let's go tell somebody. Let's go tell somebody. Brothers and sisters, God is not trying to get you. He's not trying to fail you. He's asking for your heart. Do you remember when you were lost? Aren't you glad somebody told you? Matthew 7, 12 says, Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even also to them? Is there somebody you know with whom you can share it? And if they say no, is there somebody else with whom you can share it? And if they say no, is there somebody else? And before you get discouraged, two people this very day in this very building said yes. Not a Christian, become one. Are a Christian? Let's share this good news because the famine is over. Help you in any way, we invite you to come. As we stand, as we sing.